Welcome to episode one of It's a Trap. I'm Cam, and I'm joined by my friend Dave. Hi, Dave. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. This is this is something new for us. This is something new. This is episode one of our our new podcast. We're adding it to our other podcast. We now have two. That means we're like crazy, I think. Sure. Yes. Anyways, this is a show called It's a Trap, a show all about great characters from movies. So we're not necessarily going to focus on great movies, but we are going to focus on great characters. And so we thought a good way to start off this podcast is to focus on verbal Kent from The Usual Suspects. Now, some people argue that The Usual Suspects is a great movie based on how it ends. But I think Dave and I are of at least a similar opinion that the movie itself isn't that great, but the character of verbal is what is so great that it makes them, it carries the whole movie. Would you Mm -hmm. agree? I would agree. All right. So some, some background facts before we dive into this great character. The usual suspects was uh, a movie that came out in 1995. I was a whole nine years old. (laughs) I won't, I won't tell you. Uh, how old Dave was. Uh, it was directed by Brian Singer, um, who's done a number of the newer X-Men movies in recent years. Um, and it was written by Christopher McQuarrie. It's got Kevin Spacey, Stephen Baldwin, Benicio Del Toro, uh, Gabriel Byrne, Kevin Pollack, Chaz Palminteri, or some of the main characters of the movie. And uh, Spacey won Best Actor in a Supporting Role. He won the Oscar for that. And McQuarrie won um, Best Screenplay for this movie as well. So um, it was received well when it came out. Um, and even 20 years later still has staying power. So, um, that's that Dave, why don't you uh, tell us what the movie's about? Sure. Um, it is a police lineup that is engineered by Kaiser Soze and he brings together five criminals that have individual individually wronged, uh, Soze. And, uh, as they're brought together, their, uh, criminal ways, uh, play into his hand and uh, they end up um, doing some jobs together, and Soze eventually blackmails them into interrupting what they believe is a $91 million drug deal, which ultimately uh, leads to their demise. So that's kind of a rundown of what this is about. All right, Dave. Mm-hmm. What did you like about this movie? Um, well, uh, th- as we'd already, we've already hinted at, I, I, the ending is really what kind of makes the entire movie. And so... So I think at this point we should uh, make our disclaimer. If you have not watched <laughs> The Usual Suspects, stop listening to this show right now. Because in the very near future, we are going to discuss that ending, and it will ruin the movie for you. Yeah. So if you've not watched it, Go listen to a different podcast and come back to this one once you've seen the movie. Yeah. You have been warned. Because it, it, it is, you want the twist at the end. You want the surprise. Even if you kind of, um, even if you're, uh, you know, kind of a twist savvy viewer and you kind of think you want know what's going to happen, uh, I, I still think the way the twist unfolds, which we'll discuss a little bit more, but I think just the way it unfolds is, is well done. And it's not kind of a bam in your face. It's that it, it kind of gives you that moment of, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm right. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of are like, it builds. So, yeah, so the surprise ending, 
um, was one of the things I really liked about it. Um, I liked the um, idea of you have the present day uh, police investigating what has gone on on this ship where, I don't know, the number 27, is our 27 people die? Is yeah, my 27 head. or 28. Um, so 27, 27 people die on the ship. Police are investigating it. One of the people that survives it is Kevin Spacey's character, uh, Verbal, and he is going back and telling... Um, he is going back and telling his version of events that led up to uh, the ending. Um, so, uh, yeah. All right. Well, here's what I liked in broad strokes. Mm-hmm. Benicio del Toro, Benicio del Toro's character Fenster, I think is hysterical. The way that he dresses is like totally over the top New York gangster, you mm-hmm. know, with like the the suit with the loose bow tie and the unbuttoned shirt and the and the slicked back poofy hair. Just everything about him is like super nineties New York gangster and it's like over the top. And the fact that you can't understand a single word that he's saying other than the F bomb, like yeah. that's all that you <laughs> What the But I just he's he's like the the counterpoint to Stephen Baldwin's like super intense, wants to murder everybody. I'm terrible. Look at my awful beard type of. So like, I just, I like that because I really, really don't like Stephen Baldwin in this movie. I think he's terrible except for the one line he has, which we'll get to later. But Fenster is awesome because he's just so flippant and over the top. And I just find him to be like the sole point of comedy in the whole movie, which is, very serious and every everyone is yelling and and all that stuff. So I like him for that. Um I also like um Spacey's narration as verbal the whole time um when he's in the the uh police station and he's explaining what's going on um the way that he does it and also the way that he does throw in random comedic moments to try and screw with the Mm -hmm. um, police officer, Agent Kuyon, which, believe it or not, is spelled K-U-J-O-N. I don't know what that's about. No. But anyways, um, so I like that. Uh, He does a really good job. Um, And then uh, I also like the mystique that is built around Kaiser Soze, the whole movie, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. You learn more about him. At first, it's just this really weird name, but then you get the backstory that has been created and how people uh, react when they hear his name. Yeah, and it's, I mean, everybody uh, is... Uh, it, they don't have a, a mild response to him. Everybody... Yeah, is, either freaks out or is or vehemently... Oh my, I can't even say that word. Strongly denies that he exists, <laughs> but no one has just a yeah. other than verbal who's like, who's Kaiser Soze? He has that response when he is with the other criminals. Right. But when he's in the but police when he's office, in the police <laughs> office and they come in and they say, does he say who's Kaiser? So do they ask him? Yeah. Agent Kuyam which is played by Chaz Palminteri blows the door and says, who's Kaiser Soze and Kevin Spacey just goes, Oh, and drops the F bomb. <laughs> and then it cuts to the next scene. It's just one of your dislikes about the movie. You said was the language, mm-hmm. which is it's rated R for a reason. Yeah. Um, and I understand that, but that there, there's something about a well-placed F bomb. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and that is one of them when he goes, Oh, and then just cut right to the next scene. Yeah. Um, 
And and I will just say that um, you know I there I have my moments, so I don't even want to come across as like a prude or like because I'm sure I cuss more than Cam does quite a bit more. I don't know. And, I'm Scottish. <laughs> and then dropping the F-bomb is not unusual for me. There are my moments where it becomes an adjective. So, um, yeah, I, there was just, maybe it kind of starts with the, the lineup where they're having them say the line at the beginning of the movie. And it just, the, like you said, I'm good with a well-placed F-bomb. I'm, I get annoyed when I feel like I'm watching an episode of the Osbournes and it's just nothing but effing this <laughs> and effing out. that. And <laughs> the Osbournes? Yeah. Is that even still a thing? I don't think it is still a thing, but when it was a show, it's oh like listening gosh. to Ozzy Osbourne, it's like they have to bleep every other word. So, well, I mean, yeah. That's <laughs> so anyway, and, and I know, you know, I guess my thing is, is um, I just, I, I don't, and I'll even back up a little bit. I, I, it is more a, I don't like it when I feel like I am aware of the cussing because then it feels contrived to me. And I think there are moments in the movie, particularly with the lineup, particularly early on, it feels contrived and it almost feels like the criminals are trying to out F bomb the other guy to seem like they're that much worse or they're that much you know, and I think that's even kind of Stephen, one of the Stephen Baldwin in terms of his just intensity. It's like cussing a lot does not make you a great villain or, you know, yeah. it's, and, and so, uh, you know, you take Spacey's character that we're looking at and, you know, his F bomb at the right time, it's kind of like, yes, that that's how you do it. So, you know, just even the language kind of just to me reiterated, Doing it well and not doing it well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Oh, the, the other the other piece that I really like um, is how cocky Agent Kuyan is when he's interrogating Verbal. Because Verbal does such a great job of portraying that he's kind of dumb, that he's kind of not necessarily a halfwit, but... He's not the brains of the operation. He has ideas, you know, the, the He's the plan man, right? The plan guy. But he's not a genius, you know. He doesn't see the big picture like this Agent Kuyan character mm-hmm. does and when he says, you know, I'm That's- smarter than you and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to get you in the end. And the whole time you're just like, oh, you're going to eat crow at some point. Yeah. Um and so that that to me is also what makes the ending so wonderful is that this guy who has been the whole time thinking that he's smarter and better and, you know, more, um, competent than this cripple. And it just all within like 10 seconds at the end of the movie just flips on itself. Mm -hmm. And that to me is just one of those, I know I shouldn't be cheering for the evil bad guy, but you just got (laughs) put in your place. So Anyways, all right, so what didn't you like about the movie? Well, we already hit on the, the language piece. Um, and then I just, I think there was a, which I've never dealt with law enforcement in New York City, so there may be, and that is where this takes place, right, New York City? That's where it starts. It yeah, starts there, it ends in, in California. Oh, and then they're in, yeah, California. Um, but I, there's just this underlying tone of uh, cops are corrupt. Um, uh, what's the, the um, I'm drawing a blank on the- Keaton. Keaton. Uh, is it Den Denny Keaton? Dean. Dean Keaton. Um, 
with the sometimes Irish accent and sometimes not. <laughs> so Keaton is a is an ex cop, and he's one of the the usual suspects, a criminal. Uh, one of the first jobs that they pull um, is the um, New York's finest taxi service. New York City's finest taxi service, and um, where they are basically shuttling criminals around and. Uh, making money. And, you know, even as I say that, I, I, I get it. Um, but uh, it just was not, I was not a huge fan of just that kind of underlying theme. Cause then even, you know, like you were saying with the ending and the agent being made to look stupid, you know, it's kind of this, uh, the theme is the bad guys are good guys and good guys are the bad guys. And I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I've already stated that I don't like Stephen Baldwin in this. He's great in Biodome, but not so much in this movie. <laughs> we should we should totally do Biodome. There's no good there's no good characters in that movie though. <laughs> Polly Shore. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, I think the movie up until a certain point moves really slow. Up until the scene in the pool room, mm-hmm. everything is just kind of dragging to me, and then that from that pool scene on, it's all just downhill. Um, and then uh, <laughs> Kobayashi, the lawyer mm-hmm. who has a British accent and a ginormous nose, but looks like he goes to fake tanning and his last name is Japanese and everything in his office building is written in Japanese. But clearly he's a British guy. Yes. I, I And now I understand that. Should we talk about the ending? Yeah, I think we need to okay. just deal with we, it we here. Put it on like, yeah. Okay. So at the end of the movie, after Verbal posts bail, he walks out of the police station and Agent Kuyan walks back into the office where they've been talking and looks at the bulletin board that Verbal had been looking at the whole time and Agent Kuyan had had his back to because he was sitting on the desk. And he sees... Skokie, Illinois, and he sees this giant fat lady that's as big as an orca, and he sees um, a few other things that tie into the stories that Verbal's been telling, and then when he realizes it, he drops his mug, and on the bottom of the mug, it says, like, Kobayashi Corporation, so Mm -hmm. clearly this guy's name really isn't Kobayashi, but I find it interesting that in the retelling of the story, when his name is Kobayashi, oh, Redfoot was the other thing that they saw, which was the the California drug dealer's name. that in the story they they chose to make him as Japanese as possible to make us not think anything of it other than why is a British guy named Kobayashi, but they made him darker skinned to look more like he could perhaps be half British, yeah. half Japanese. All of the the uh signs in his office were all written in Japanese, I'm assuming. I can't read Japanese, it could be Mandarin, I don't know. I know that they're different, it could be but just I, made I can't up but yes. But the point is is they don't give that up until the very end. Right. You're just kind of like, oh, I guess that was the 90s and they didn't want to get a Japanese guy to play this <laughs> until you realize, oh, his name's not really Kobayashi at all. Um, so I just thought that was kind of... See, now that's kind of a like of mine because... Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to saying it was a like, but it was definitely that, that piece of going back and realizing that everything... I mean... It, it, you can't believe anything that verbal has presented in, in the agent's office. Well, actually he's in the, the, the sergeant's office, but he's talking to the, yeah. The, you, the, yeah. You, the, the line between what is true and what is fabricated is so faded that you can't tell all, all that, you know, 
that has actually happened is that they're all dead and yeah. he's not. You don't know how they got from, and you do know that they hit. You do know that they hit the cop car in New York. Yeah, that. But you don't know what got them to L.A. You don't know what got them to the boat. Like all of the stuff that Verbal tells the stories to how they they got out there, you can't rely on, which is super frustrating and leads to tons of questions. Yes. And so I hate to say this, but so did we say that verbal is Kaiser? Did mm -mm. we actually say that yet? Mm -mm. Okay. So verbal is Kaiser Soze. (gasps) And also Darth Vader is Luke's dad, but no one saw that coming. (laughs) Yes. Because Vader means father in German. It does. (laughs) Uh, Real clever. No, I think that's from like, uh, it's from Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I could see a girl saying it, and I'm like, yep. who is it? Yeah, we're gonna we're Pitch gonna Perfect. play a game in this podcast. How many other irrelevant movies can we can we reference while we talk? About this? <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was you know, uh, so I guess uh, to to add on to my likes was uh, the bulletin board revelation when he's looking at that and he's seeing all the things that were on the bulletin board that lined up with uh, Verbal's uh, story of that, and then. Uh, you know, the first time I watched it, um, I, I will say this, this is the type of movie that you probably need to be able to watch without a lot of distractions going on. So no kids don't be trying to look at, you know, other screens. Don't be playing with Twitter and all the other things that could be distracting you. This is one of those movies that it's good to sit down and watch the movie. And I had that privilege of doing it the first time it was Christmas time. Uh, I was at my dad's house and it was a group of, uh, adults. And so we all sat down and watched it and, you know, had conversation throughout the movie. And it really just added to that ending to get to watch the entire movie. And this time I did watch it by myself. And one of the things I enjoyed about it was how you can see Soze in verbal throughout the movie, because there, I, I believe Kevin Spacey, and one of the reasons why he got the nod for the Oscar is that he, he was Kaiser Soze playing verbal. And so there's moments of just the way he drags on a cigarette, watching a scene go down that you can just tell that's not this meek little guy. There's, there's, you see the deeper character in that. And so, um, now that we've revealed the ending, I would say for me personally, uh, it it is definitely a, 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 you can watch the movie twice and you'll enjoy it the first and the second time, because you're going to watch it through two different perspectives. And I enjoyed that the second time going, that's there. So I see him. <laughs> All right. So now that we've made the big reveal, mm-hmm. the man behind the curtain is Kaiser Soze. Um, let's talk specifically about this character. Cause he really is the thing that we want to talk about the most. Um, what, makes him so great as a, as a spectacle, right? Not great as like, he's a really good guy, but what, why is he so intriguing? Cause you watch this movie specifically for him. Mm-hmm. So what makes him so great? And why did we decide to start a podcast and make him the number one show? Uh, I, be, I, I'm going to say in this particular situation with this particular character, he makes the movie. Uh, him and then the reveal at the end is really what this movie is, is, is all about. And so um, I think whether you think this is a good movie or you think it's an average movie, I don't think anybody's going to say it's a poor movie because it's really not 
there's nothing in my opinion that would make this, uh, not worth a watch to anybody. Uh, but his character really does, uh, carry the entire movie. And then I just think there's, there's so many layers to, um, you know, who he is and just how, uh, even different people respond to him in different ways. Um, easiest way to kind of sum up the way generally everybody is to underestimate him uh, because they don't, you know, they don't, um, they, they, they think verbal is verbal and so is a, so is a. And, uh, I think it's just like, um, in real life, anytime you villainize somebody, my guess is, is when you spend some time with them and you get to know them, you're going to say, Oh, they're not so bad. And that's one of the things I think that helps Soze carry his mystique and just being a villain is when you can never meet the guy and never have a beer with him, never share a meal with him, never have a conversation with him, then that mystique never gets destroyed and he doesn't just become another person, another human being. So yeah, he's like the counter Batman. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The whole, this idea of a symbol never being, um, you, you, you can corrupt a person, but you can't corrupt a symbol. And so if, uh, one of the lines that you, um, put in your favorite quote, I'm going to steal it from you here. Is, is Kobayashi when they're in that pool room says one cannot be betrayed if one has no people. And so if, if he lets Soze be this, this symbol of evil mm-hmm. and, um, a willingness to do whatever it takes to get the job done to the point where he murders his wife and his own children to make a point. Mm-hmm. If you can separate that from a physical person, then it just, it, that's why people react as strongly as they do in the movie when they hear his name, because he's incorruptible from mm-hmm. that stance. Um, and so I would agree that it's th- this, this idea of, this character and what he represents and the fear that he instills just by the mention of his name in cops and criminals alike is, um, something to behold. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when you realize that verbal, this, this really meek, um, cripple who talks too much is that guy, your, your mind's just kind of like trying to figure out what just happened. Um, and it to me it's just he is he is so intelligent and so ballsy that he at one point he says why would why would this Kaiser Soze you know stick his head out and then disappear and then once you realize that it's him you're like oh my gosh he's so he's he's just playing a game with the cops because he's so smart and so far ahead of them in what's happening that he's going to put himself out there just to prove that he's better than they are, right. which is essentially the whole movie is just, is just a gamesmanship thing. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I mean, I would say that, uh, he has to be in the neighborhood of somebody that's a psychopath in that element of, um, you know, whether he really did kill his family as this flashback story tells, um, we don't know. I mean, I, I suppose that's what would be the logical conclusion if verbal ends up being Soze is that he killed his own family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that's true and just the, you know, the different things that you see throughout the movie revealed, and then even you take it from the standpoint of uh, the agent talking to him, um, 
one of the mistakes I think law enforcement does, particularly in early on dealing with a psychopath, is they assume that they're playing by the rules. Because even in good and evil and cops and robbers and that sort of a thing, there's there's rules that you play by. And when a psychopath comes into scene, he's no longer playing by the rules. And that's definitely this character that Kevin Spacey is playing is he's not playing by the rules. And uh, just even a little bit of you have to to sit in the agents off or the, the to be in the interrogation mm-hmm. and to be making up these random stories about drinking coffee and being in a quartet and, you know, just stupid things like that. I'm leaning towards, you know. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> I used to be in a barbershop. Quartet in Skokie, Illinois. The bear town was this guy, Kip Diskin, huge fat guy. I'm talking orca fat. He was so stressed in the morning. And then he just kind of just he just comes up with this random backstory based off of one Skokie, Illinois, and a huge fat lady photo and decides, oh, barbershop, oh, something quartet, quartet is industries made, yeah. in, in Skokie, Illinois. Or then back when I was picking beans in Guatemala, we used to make fresh coffee right off the trees. I mean, that was good. This is crap. But I mean, hey, it's a police station. <laughs> Yeah. Just off the cuff. He's nuts. Yeah. And and if you take you even take that to a logical, when would you have ever been in Columbia? Guatemala. Or well, I'm sorry, Guatemala. And also Skokie, Illinois. And making yeah, making, you know As as a cripple, how you're not gonna make a good coffee no. bean picker. No. But no, and especially in the mountains, I mean it's I mean, we're talking you you've gotta be an able bodied person to do that. So it's just sort of a doesn't fit. But but he it makes works. it, yeah. He makes it work. He makes it believable. All right. Um, now you, I think you mentioned something. This this movie came out in '95, so this was Kevin Spacey was a known actor, but yeah, he, he was, was not. No, he was not a star. I would not say. Yeah. So, so I think that's also what helps to make this role and the twist at the end believable. It's not like we were to make a movie now and Robert Downey Jr. or George Clooney was going to play verbal. Right. It'd be obvious. You're not going to get somebody that has that much of a star draw, you know, or, or, um, you know, Will Smith or somebody like that to play this role. You're going to need somebody that's known, but is not yet a megastar to play this role. You would put the, you know, the megastars in other roles to try and draw away from the twist at the end. Yeah. And I think that was, they got somebody who can act incredibly well and play this role incredibly well, but was not yet a superstar. And I think that helps towards the end. Um, yeah. Cause just real quick, kind of pulling up the internet movie database, um, anything before um, the usual suspects. Um, I'm not seeing anything that I'm like, Oh, Kevin Spacey, and, you know, he's, he, you know, he, he was fairly active, had quite a few movies. And so then you got the usual suspects and then there's movies like seven oh, and so LA confidential and that the negotiator really that I've not seen that one. You haven't seen the negotiator. No, but LA confidential and seven are both really good movies. Uh, there are a couple of scenes from the negotiator that I use over and over again for training purposes. <laughs> <laughs> so Yes, Chris Sabian. He's the all-star negotiator that goes up against the uh, Samuel L. Jackson, the other all-star negotiator. So, but and then American Beauty, which mm-hmm. 
the big kahuna. So yeah, I just, this is really the character that I think law. Okay. Pax. That was, Ooh, don't bother with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, not really, but (laughs) don't, don't lie to the listeners, Dave. So anyway, yeah. So he was, he was known. He was, he was, he was working in Hollywood. He'd made some movies, but he was not like you said, it's not like we had John Travolta sitting there. (laughs) Oh, I want to make a Scientology comment so bad, but I shall refrain. All right. All right. So what are some of your favorite quotes and or scenes from the movie that would perhaps help our listeners remember the best parts of Kaiser Soze? Um, so, uh, one of the ones that, that made me just sort of chuckle from the, the very beginning Boy, and I tell you what, as 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 we are going to do this podcast, I'm gonna have to depend on you for actors' names and even character and the the movies names because I quickly forget who uh, who says what. And well, luckily for you, I've got the IMDb downloaded <laughs> to my brain, Dave. And maybe I should have. Um, so is it Kevin Kevin Pollock that uh, is at the very beginning when? Um, he's the one that's working on the car. Yeah. And so he's, he's being interrogated and they're trying to get him to confess. And he's just off the cup says, what do you got a team of monkeys working around the, uh, the clock on this? And yeah, uh, he's real flippant and just, you know, it's just like, like that is something that a, a no, like a, the one, a usual suspect in an interrogation room who knows he has no business being there is going to say, what do you got a team of monkeys working around the clock on this? Uh, so uh, that was one that kind of made me just kind of chuckle. It's fairly early on. Um, one of the stories, um, gosh, I should do a better job with my notes because I'm not, I, I like wrote these down and then I uh, can't remember it. Rat on your pop and Kaiser Soze will get you is one of the things that little kids that have dads that are bad guys grow mm-hmm. up hearing. And so it was kind of this, dark Santa Claus kind of fictional rat on your pop and Kaiser Soze will get you. So, Oh, and that's, that's the other thing about this character that, that kind of hit me uh, later on and just came to me now is, um, you know, Keaton says to verbal when they're in the holding cell. Yeah. I remember you from the past. And so this is something that like, this is like a incredibly long con. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is an ongoing because my guess is, is, to make it believable, you know, verbals out there actually doing jobs, jobs and, and actually being a con artist and, and getting arrested for it and in and serving time. And, and it, one of the things is I don't think it's ever explicitly stated how verbal and Keaton met all that is said. No. Is they have done jobs in the past. Well, and I even kind of thought, well, maybe he knew him as you were the bad guy. I was the cop. You know, it, it which is even, crazy because Keaton had been a cop for a while, right? It, so just, that's what I'm saying. It, it, and and in, then in the in the pool room when when Kobayashi drops the hammer and hands them all the folders of all the stuff, and he says, "Back in 1981, you knocked off this, that, and the other to Keaton." So this has been 14 years in the making to get back at Keaton. Mm-hmm. The other guys were, were more closer to the yeah. 1990, but 14 years he's been sitting on this, which is insane. Yeah. I mean, talk about psychopath, right? Yep. I agree. That's just nuts. 
So, um, and I know you mentioned this quote as well, uh, but I think, again, this, this, this quote, uh, and I, if I remember correctly, this is even in the trailer, the, the trailer from when they showed this. I have a, I have a small recollection of um, the movie trailer for this and um, verbal saying, the greatest trick the, ever, the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And one, I just think on uh, a theological level, there's some like like serious there's some, truth. There's to some that. serious truth to that. And then there's that element of well, what exactly is it that Kaiser Soze has been doing? Not so much convincing the world that he doesn't exist, but it's this, you know, it's it's he's created um, the illusion of Kaiser Soze. And well, to the point that some people acknowledge his existence and some people like Keaton refuse to believe that he does exist. And so you have that tension of either way, they're both freaked out by the mention of the name, whether or not you choose to believe he's real or not. The impact that name has on you is still palpable. And that's power. Yep. Um, you know, a couple of my favorite scenes, um, as, as you talked about, the movie picks up in the pool room uh, where uh, Kobayashi is there with them and basically hands them all a packet. And as they start going through their packet, uh, they there's this... Uh, this is the other thing that, that I think a, a movie does well is when you can interpret what is going on in the movie by what you see and people aren't having to say it to you. So even though Kevin Spacey is verbal is narrating throughout the movie, there are moments where you witness them going through their packets that they have been given uh, from um, Kobayashi that are ultimately from Kaiser and uh, the things that they have done where they're like, oh crap, he's got us. And um, even Keaton has that kind of, he seems a little more like the other guys are kind of more. Yeah. Okay. I get this. Keaton to me kind of had almost a, that panic, uh, because it wasn't just involving him. I think as you know, there's that element of there's pictures of his girlfriend. Uh, there's just, he, he seems a little bit more, there's more turmoil for him in what he is seeing in his packet than maybe some of the others of just being like, ah, so that's the game we're playing. Um, well, Fenster freaks out too. Cause that's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's when he winds up he bolts and winds right. up dead in that weird cave on the beach, <laughs> which was weird. But, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Because after because he's like, oh, he's got everyone that I've ever worked with for the last yada, and then he, you know, he's whatever, and then he just disappears, and they get a call. Kobayashi says you can find him here, and he's dead. Um, but yeah, no. Keaton is like once he sees the picture of your name is Edie, right? Yeah, I don't remember. I want to say uh, I, I'm like, oh, Edie Falco. No, she's a real person <laughs> who's an actress. That's but, anyways, she winds up dead too. That was sad in Pennsylvania of all places. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So I think. I agree that that line, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist is is good for many, many different reasons. Um, But uh, then there's um, when Agent Kuyan asks um, Verbal if he believes that Kaiser Soze is real or not. He says, Keaton always said, again, building this relationship that he's had with this guy. Like Keaton was my friend. That one, like at one point, 
Agent Kuyan breaks uh, verbal down to where he's on the ground crying that Keaton was his friend and Keaton would never betray him because Agent Kuyan is so obsessed, is like obsessed with busting Keaton that he tries to convince verbal that Keaton is Kaiser Soze and goes through the, all of the stuff and how it makes sense that Keaton would be Soze and how he's the sociopath and he's the one that's doing all the stuff, which is exactly what verbal wants him to think. Right. And he just walked right into that. Uh, Agent Kuyan did and is so obsessed with making Keaton the bad guy that all he has to do is to pretend that Keaton was a good guy and cry. And it just, it, it works so well. But then he says at some point in the movie, Keaton always said, I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of him. Well, I believe in God. And the only thing I'm afraid of is Kaiser Soze. Which is quite the statement. Sure. I mean, I just, it's, it's just a, it's a clever turn of phrase, but it's also very powerful. Um, and he's playing on the fact that Kuyan is obsessed with Keaton. So by drawing in Keaton's name and saying this, he's bringing even more emphasis to the fact that Kaiser Soze is a nutcase. And he's drawing, he's, he, while he is himself, Kaiser Soze, acting as verbal, he's doing everything he can to further grow the mystique and fear that Kaiser Soze should impose upon people who hear his name. And it's just incredibly clever to me. Um, and then the other line that I really like is, he gets really sarcastic, Agent Kuyan uh, whose name, first name is Dave, asks or yeah. offers offers verbal protection. And he's like, oh, gee, thanks, Dave. Bang up jobs so far. Extortion, coercion. You'll pardon me if I ask you to kiss my butt. <laughs> but that part's redacted. Um, but it's just, it's the one time where he's snarky the whole time. And he just, oh, bang up jobs so far. Thanks. <laughs> Total smart aleck. Um, and then the one good thing, the one good thing that Stephen Baldwin contributed to this to the whole contributed to this whole movie is this he's on the top of a house with a sniper rifle and he goes old mcdonald had a farm e-i-e-i-o and on that farm he shot some guys bada bing bang bing bang boom (laughs) (laughs) and that made me laugh out loud while i watched the movie so thank you Stephen baldwin for that one (laughs) glorious rendition of a children's poem um, I think for us, we've, we've agreed that the, uh, the turning point of the movie is that pool room when Kobayashi walks in and gives them those packets and they all decide that they're going to go headlong into this boat job. Um, and to me, that's probably my second favorite scene in the whole movie because that's where everything, all of the, the, um, trails that you start out with at the beginning, the five random guys in the Everything from the lineup to the pool room is converging. It's mm-hmm. all coming together. And it's and it's obvious that th- this is not an accident. And this then they all realize they've been set up by this Kaiser Soze once Kobayashi right. explains it to them. So everything from the lineup to the pool room is just kind of this building action. And it's slow. And you just come on, get on with it. And then everything from the pool room on is just climax and then falling action with... a another you know big reveal at the end um so the pool room for me is kind of the the center of the movie where everything comes together and then at the same time starts to come apart Mm -hmm. um so i really like that scene and and the role that it serves in the movie 
And then of course the twist at the end, which I feel like we should, we've, we've talked about it, but I think this is the point where we should fully explain our thoughts about it. So what do you think about, so this is the, let's start with verbal says when I post bail and then Kuyan said, you posted 20 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And then verbal walks out of the office with a effing cops <laughs> and walks, to, goes to walk out from then on. Everything changes mm-hmm. in a matter of what? Two minutes tops. Yeah. Tops. Um, the, this whole time that, that um, we've not mentioned this yet, this whole time that verbal is being interrogated by uh, agent Kuyan, who by the way is a customs agent. I don't know what he's doing. The FBI guy's just sitting there smoking a cigar by the fax machine and the customs agent is interrogating the suspect. Yeah. I never understood that. Well, and that, I guess that was for me was another one of those sort of um cops are bad kind of a just dig of um you know FBI guys don't do anything and You know, the customs guy, whether he's a customs guy or what, he's just got it out for Keaton. And so, you know, there's just sort of this, there isn't anything, it's not about justice. It's more about personal vendetta. Yeah. So anyways, so this whole time that, that, um, verbal is being interrogated, the FBI agent has been either at the hospital with the burn victim, the one other person that survived this Hungarian guy who survived and has been describing in Hungarian through a translator to the sketch artist, what Kaiser Soze looks like. And then the FBI agent winds up at the, um, the police precinct at some point. Um, but right after verbal walks out of the police station, the fax comes through with the photo that or a drawing that looks somewhat close to him. But while that fax is coming through, Kuyan walks back into the office, sees the bulletin board and picks out the Guatemala quartet, Skokie, Illinois, um, the fat chick and Orca and the name Redfoot, um, and all of the stuff that, um, verbal had used to build his stories. And then once he realizes it, you get the slow-mo drop of the coffee mug yeah. and then it breaks and then it lands and you see Kobayashi written on the bottom. And then he sprints to the exit area and he's trying to find verbal. And then it cuts to the point where verbal's walking and what happens? Well, verbal, um, loses his limp. Uh, he, he pulls out his cigarette. Yeah, the, the, uh, the camera shot is like, Mid thigh down. Yeah. But you know, it's him because of the way he's walking. Because of the way he's walking. So he suddenly starts, he loses his limp. And I wouldn't even say suddenly. He does a good job of fading from a limp to a regular walk. And then it's just not a regular walk. It's like a strut. Strut, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, and then he pulls out his lighter that he has, that has fought him throughout uh, any of the flashbacks. Anytime he's lit up a cigarette and he's needed assistance with the lighter and, uh, it's a very. Ooh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about. It's that. a very nice lighter that he can, you know. It's like a gold lighter. I mean, it's mm-hmm. an expensive lighter. And not that, not that a con artist wouldn't have a nice lighter, but he also has got a really nice gold watch on. And yeah, it's just his persona just sort of uh, changes from being this helpless cripple to being this confident um, psychopath. I guess. And then a jag- <laughs> and jaguar. Jaguar pulls up, mm-hmm. and Kobayashi, or, or the person that we've referred to as Kobayashi, is in the driver's seat. Is in the driver's seat, and um, doesn't seem to be the Japanese character either. Seems to be more uh, 
Um, seems like he's got like a nice silk shirt or something on, uh, you know, somebody that should be driving a Jaguar, mm-hmm. not even a criminal, but just a, just a normal dude, a normal person that has, uh, money. Um, so he gets in the car and they drive away and, and that, well, and then the whole time that this oh yeah montage is going on, you it's as if you hear it, but it's as if you're inside Agent Kuyan's head and he's reciting right. lines that Verbal has said throughout the entire movie. And then right at the end, it says that he's, you know, he's going to lay his neck out of the line one last time and then disappear forever. And poof, he's gone in black screen. The movie ends. And it's yes. just like the last two minutes, you're just like, oh, oh, oh my God. You start like, you know, because you, you're starting to, re- it all starts to come together. And you start playing it back. And and for me, it was the, uh, like a couple hours later after I think I was literally going to bed, I like have this realization of, oh, wait a minute. None of that probably ever happened. You know, it was like that. He lied about everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you know, you get that he's lying by the fact that he was probably never in a quartet and all that kind of stuff. But it's just that, to me, it was kind of that. Oh, well, none of that has to be true, you know. Yeah, all that has to be, be true is that those five guys made it from New York to mm-hmm. L.A. and then they all died on the boat. They all died on the boat. So, yep, that's the only thing. <laughs> all right. So I guess there are a lot of questions, but we don't really have answers to them because it's a movie and it's fake. Mm-hmm. But. I guess the one question that that I think we should discuss because we can actually answer it is if Kaiser Soze really is that bad of a person in the movie, why do we find him so intriguing as a character? Um, I, one of the things that I personally find appealing in a character, and I'm guessing this will be a theme for me as, as we start talking about this is um even if he is a psychopath um you know even if um he sat in that room and told lies and even if he did has this alter ego verbal that allows him to do what he does um there is something um like uh i want to say real about him um you know, it's like he knows who he is. He knows what he's doing, and he's good at what he's doing. And um, you know, he, 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 you know, he doesn't claim to be a cop, and then worry about personal vendettas. He doesn't claim to be a cop, and then you know, run a taxi service uh, for people that are criminals and, and benefit financially um, off of them. Um, you know, he, he is kind of this, he is what he is and he doesn't apologize for what he is and he uses it to his benefit. And if this life is all we've got and you might as well go for as much as you can while you're here, then that he is certainly doing, you know, he's, he's, he's out for Uno number one and he makes no excuses and no apologies for it. And, um, I don't know. That's personally for me. Uh, I know it's it, it's it, it feels like a paradox there in terms of saying this Kaiser Soze is about the realest thing about the movie. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that that and the dumbfounded look on Agent Kuyan's face at the when end. It, yeah, that's. <laughs> I think I think the reason I'm so intrigued by him is that he plays the game so well. Right. Um, you know, I I like to think that I'm somewhat intelligent, um, but I do not have the balls to even try something half as insane as what he did in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the his ability to read people, to bait people, to um, give them false confidence in their superiority to him, only to turn like that's not kid play. Like that is no. subterfuge, if I can use a word yeah. that I'm not really sure what it means. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I used it in the right context. Um. It's. I'm just so intrigued by the gamesmanship aspect of that character um, in the movie, and the fact that you realize it at the end that it's him, and then the movie ends, and you don't know what happens next, and you don't know what really happened. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's really going on, other than this guy is a grade A nutcase, and he's really good at being one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't like him because he's a bad guy and he murders people. I I I'm intrigued by his character because of the intricacies and that he um just deftly maneuvers um and his ability to read and work people over is just thoroughly intriguing to mm-hmm. me. Cuz I don't I, I don't know how to do that and I wouldn't want to do that, but it still is intriguing to me. Um, so I just, I find his character, the twist at the end of the movie, just everything about it to be perfect. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's just, it's such a good, um, standalone character. Yeah. And we were looking at like a list of top, you know, 100 film characters and he was like number 97 (laughs) and uh, below Ace Ventura. And don't get me wrong, I can quote Ace Ventura with the best of them, but Ace Ventura as a character can't hold Kaiser Soze's jockstrap, right. which I doubt he wears one, but I'm just saying. It's a figure <laughs> of speech, people. Relax. So I just, I, every, everything about him and the way that he handles it and the way that he screws with people, and it, it just, it's entertaining yeah. to me. Yeah, and that's where I guess, you know, you know, for him, he gets that it's a game. And and that's where I just think, you know, with these other people, he he plays into what it is they believe they expect him to be. Yeah. yeah. And, and and but but even just the the um you know Agent Kujan and and him wanting to get Keaton and you know just that plays into his um you think that this is what it's all about and you're being vindictive and, you know, you're not really about, you, you, you've come to conclusion and you're going to get your conclusion. You're not trying to seek the truth. And so he, you know, he kind of, um, you know, he uses uh, that to his advantage. Yeah. Yeah. He takes, he takes the, the vindictiveness that Kuyan has and uses it to, steer Kuyan where he wants him to go. And it's, I mean, it's masterful. Yes. And, and I, I, and that was, I think the other thing that made me, I, I believe that I've come across psychopaths in my world 
And they are very good at that. They can read people like you wouldn't believe. And it is, um, it's almost freaky when you have it done to you. Um, I, I had, um, uh, taken a guy to jail, um, and, um, for the record listeners, Dave is a (laughs) police officer. And that's why my, my hang up on police corruption and all that comes from, (laughs) um, but I can also appreciate Kaiser, so to say. So, um, but I took a guy to jail that I believe maybe not a psychopath was, but was at least a sociopath. And he started complimenting me and telling me what a great cop I was, what a great person I was and all this kind of stuff. And like, I was getting sucked into it. I mean, I'm like going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Dang <And>, straight. <laughs> and then when it was all said and done, uh, he ended up putting, he ended up complaining on me over something that I never did. And, um, it was just, there was just kind of some interesting little, uh, things that he had weaved throughout my interaction with him that he was constantly looking for, I believe either one, a way to get out and escape or two, um, gain my trust. Um, well, I think one for his escape and then two for, uh, putting myself in a compromising com- position so that when he did complain on me, I'd have to be like, oh, yeah, I did do that. And uh, one of the things that, that I allowed him to do is I allowed him to use a phone um, while we were on the way to the jail. And it was a cell phone that he had pressed up against his sh- cheek and his shoulder because he was in handcuffs. And he ended up like dropping the phone. And then uh, he did it when we were coming up to a red light and stopping and slowing down and I had to kind of take an evasive maneuver to not, uh, cause an accident. And I didn't cause an accident, but it was just interesting because when he made his complaint later, he had weaved all this stuff together that it just was like, I knew better than to give him the phone and let him make a phone call, but he was that good. And then he ended up using it against me. So, um, I'm intrigued by people that are that way. It is, it is quite fascinating. They will do, I believe, whatever it takes uh, for them to come out on top. So, anyway. All right, Dave. I think we've come to the point in the show where we give our official rating. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have anything, you know, um, clever about our rating system. No, in fact, I even forgot to ask for clarification yeah, on this because well, I didn't give one when we in our uh, yeah. Is this is this our rating for the character or is this our rating for the movie? Yes, <laughs> I think we should give separate ratings. Okay, one for the movie and one for the character. Because I'll give I'll give four out of five for the Kaiser Soze, and then I'll give three out of five for the movie. Okay, why does Kaiser only get four out of five stars? Or whatever it is that we're giving. Um, yeah, we haven't decided. We'll Trappies? To... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what, what it is. Why only four out of five? Because um, that's what I put down to. But I want to know your thoughts. Um, it, I, I think... Um, it, it is not a... Um, that is a, that's a good question, um, and I, and I I know what I, I know what I want to say in my head, but I don't know that I'm gonna be able to articulate this. Of, um, 
it isn't, there isn't a um, beginning to end uh, quality of character. Um, I think the, um, the twist at the end and the revelation at the end, uh, like I said, makes the movie and is well worthwhile. And there's just, there is a lot of just good things. And I guess maybe that's not even fair in terms of, you know, Kevin Spacey and verbal and seeing elements of Kaiser Soze throughout, uh, the movie. Um, I, I guess I'm going to have to arrive at two of, I'm thinking I'm comparing him to others and I'm just not putting him at the same level of some of the others that I'm thinking of that I would say are a five. And I'm probably not doing a very good job right now of articulating <laughs> why he's only a four out of a five. Well, I put him as a four out of five too. Um, I think that, and this is maybe just selfish is that if there was more closure or more information given about the character, Right in the revelation, um, but I, I think the the character suffers in the sense that the movie is is about the twist. Right. Yeah, that's a good if, way to put it. Now, if this was a more straightforward crime uh, thriller movie mm-hmm. where you get to see him as Kaiser Soze, right? You get to see him as Verbal, but then like the twist is the cl- is the the midpoint of the movie, and then the, the, then the rest of the movie is him. Then I think you get to see how intriguing this character could be, but because you never get to see him as Kaiser Soze, not playing Verbal, other than the last ten seconds of the movie, you you lose potentially um a character of incredible depth yeah um now that's not to say i mean spacey won the oscar and he deserved he did an incredible job but i think that the in my opinion how slow the first half of the movie was could have been condensed way less and you could have had that and then you could have had some more times verbal but then again the whole point of the movie was the twist so yeah, I go back and forth on it, and that, and I think you did an art, a fantastic job of articulating what was kind of in my brain. It's it's this this character is so based on a single moment in the movie, and it's almost and I can't think of the word of what I'm I'm, I'm trying to think of, but um, it's it just it, it's contrived, it's manipulated, it's and that's not exactly what I'm looking for, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't feel like I get a whole character to, to give him a five out of five. It's based on a single piece, um, that, um, gosh, this there's, and I'm going to think of this when we're done the word that I'm trying to come up with, but well, you've got, you've got what you're presented with and then you've got all this mythology in the background Mm -hmm. about the character and there's never other than the very end of the movie, there's not much of a bridge between what we see in here and what we've been told about him. Right. Um, and I think that, I mean, the mystique is what draws you to the character in the beginning, but at the end we desire a little bit more closure, I think. And, and whether that's right or wrong, I mean, I think that's a matter (laughs) of opinion, which is why we're doing a show like this because we have opinions and we want to share them. Um, so, so yeah, so verbal Kent slash Kaiser Soze. Both very odd names. Mm-hmm. But hey, well, any other comments, Dave, before uh, we sign off? No. 
Well, that's episode one, folks. That is episode one. Of It's a Trap. And I hope you know what movie we're quoting there. <laughs> yes. So, until next time, be good. Adios.